Tim'sTesseract.com. Tim'sTesseract.com. So you want to be a comic? It's not as easy as we make it look. But that's because Mutiny Radio has eight hours a week of open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs. Strain those improv muscles every Sunday from four to six at Getting Sketchy with David Stolowitz. Press out those new jokes every Monday, 6 to 8, on Joke Workshop with four-minute sets and four-minute critiques from everyone. Get positive by host Pam Benjamin. Pump those dick jokes every Thursday, 7 to 9, with True Hustle Thursdays. Hashtag THC. That's hashtag THCT. You want more open mics? Fridays, 6 to 8. Happy hour with guest host and George D. Smith. Pew, pew, pew. Four open mics every week at Mutiny Radio, brother. After work and take a seat at Asiento, a great place to meet friends, have delicious tapas and drinks, and relax with your neighbors. Located at Bryant and 21st Street in the Deep Mission, Kitty Corner Block from Mutiny Radio. Come and get a drink during the comedy festival and enjoy happy hour pricing all night long with your festival ticket. A great neighborhood bar. Come take a seat at Asiento. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at Mutiny Radio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Big dogs, you gotta fight niggas. You sleep outside in your shit. It's cold. You gotta, like, every time something breaks in the house, you have to maybe get shot first. Okay. That's my bid on dogs. Um. Yesterday to learn it, and so we'll see. What's gonna happen now in all of our cities? Our people are rising, they're living in lies, even if they have to die, even if they Even at that one moment that you know what life is If you have to die, it's alright Cause you know what life is You know what freedom is For one moment of your life But he had seen the mountaintop Thank you. 
stop Always living With the threat of death ahead Yeah, a year ago, maybe more longer than that now, Lorraine Hansberry left us, and she was a dear friend. And she had her favorite song, and then Langston Hughes left us, Cold Train left us, Otis Redding left us. You can go on. Do you realize how many we have lost? Then it really gets down to reality, doesn't it? Not a performance. Not microphones and all that crap. But really something else. We've lost a lot of them in the last two years. But we have remaining Monk, Miles, Nina. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> and of course, for those that we have left, we, we, we're thankful, but we can't afford any more losses. Oh no, oh my God. Shooting us down one by one. Don't forget that. Because they are. Killing us one by one. Well, all I have to say is that uh, those of us who know how to protect those of us that we love, stand by them and Stay close to them. And I say that if there had been a couple of more, a little closer to Dr. King, he wouldn't have got it. You know, really. Just a little closer to him. Stay there. Stay there.
weekend for in molasses he had seen mountaintop and he knew he could not stop always living with a thread everybody this is the labor and love show as you might have <clears throat> gotten from our introductory song there's our we got our president is out traveling now so here's uh, Lenny Bruce's take on the travels of another president I should win the nomination I will win yes uh, and if I become a candidate, I believe I will be nominated. Actually, uh, that's a self-serving statement and intended to be so. Uh, but, but you can. Uh, but, but I, I am convinced that the man who event who survives Nixon, he hung out with Eisenhower too long. My mental dictionary and my own thoughts are not not as well coordinated as they were once. Eisenhower, he never took his clothes off. <laughs> He never, he never went to the toilet. He just stood there. <laughs> Those who have lost elections in the past have come back to win. I hope to come back to win. That's why he'll never make it. You know that in your heart. He can't make it. But I can win. Can I win? Uh, I hope to win. I must demonstrate. I must hope to come back to win. But I can win. I can do the job. Seal, send in Nixon. <laughs> Nick, sweetie, sit down, baby. Ah, oh, has he cute? Has a black curly head, devil? Uh, get some of that twelve-year-old scotch over here, little Havana, huh, baby? Uh, sweetie, what's going on? Yeah, don't put me on. Nobody's putting you on. How'd you like to go to Lebanon? <laughs> Why don't you stop? Like, I don't want to go on any more trips. You did great in Caracas. Are you kidding? They hated me there. They spit at me. They hate me. They threw rocks at me. A few squares who didn't dig your rabble rouses. I don't want to go anyway. Create a monster, is that what I did? The boy I helped capture teeth. I don't want to be ungrateful or anything like that. It's just I don't, I don't, you know, if I did good in one place, you know. You did good in Biloxi. I don't want to go. 
why? They just don't like me, that's all. Something about my hair, I think. Want me to tell you the truth? What? They liked you at your old lady, Pat. That's it. Everybody dug you. It's her. She overdresses. Besides, who brings their wife on a trip? You'll go. You're not even going to fly tourists this time. Okay, Lenny Bruce's take on our presidential trip. And last but not least, he ain't Donald Trump. He's Mr. Know-it-all.
All right, good morning, everybody, and you are tuned in to Labor and Love Radio, the place where we tell you how it is, the place we like to say where the labor meets the road. Remember, please, if one person worked for for a dollar, pardon me, I'm getting it wrong. If one person got a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work, you're probably on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. This is the Be Your Host every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Two hours of labor opinion, history, commentary, interesting interviews and live performances, all by, for, and about working people. And we started out with our with our first set. We had, uh, well, the last one was Stevie Wonder, of course, talking about our president, even though he didn't know it. <laughs> He's Mr. Know-It-All. If we had less of him, there would be more of us. There could be more of us. Before that, Lenny Bruce with his commentary on another presidential trip, specifically Richard Nixon's trip to South America, to Venezuela, where he was, as he says in the routine, he was stoned and spit upon as a representative of Americans capitalist imperialism and before that Nina Simone and her beautiful elegy to Dr. Martin Luther King we're going to have more about King later on in the show specifically what happened to him after he came out against the real core of the uh, oppressive government against the war in Vietnam and against capitalism Okay, let's see, what do we got for you today? Well, we're going to talk about Betsy DeVos and her connection to the scandal at uh, Michigan State. An old anti-union bastion finally unionizes 107 years later. We've got some Fila Kuti and some amnesty to play for you. As I mentioned, we're going to talk about Dr. King and how alone he was after that brave stand he took. And we'll have the regular stuff. We'll have labor notes. We'll have radio labor. And today, live and right here in the studio, my longtime friend and colleague, Chuck Turner. Want to say hello? Hey, hello everybody. Nice to have you here. Chuck's going to perform songs for us. And uh, very topical songs too. Songs that will talk about the same issues we're talking about. All right, let's start out with the labor beat. Talk a little bit about labor beat and then we'll get into our live performance. On the labor beat this week, a bad.
bastion of anti-union activity, a bastion of anti-union well, Harrison Grayotis, the publisher of the LA Times. And the news is that the LA Times has voted to unionize. This reminds us, of course, of the year 1910-1911, when socialism was about to take over the political life of Los Angeles, of all places. And... Um, there was an explosion at, a, at the office of the Los Angeles Times. The publisher of the Times, Harrison Rayotis, was an obdurate enemy of unionizing. And the unions were just as determined to, to organize the LA Times. Well, there was an explosion which was eventually pinned on two union activists, the McNamara brothers. And uh, they were convicted. And with that kind of went the whole socialist movement. People like uh, Joe Harriman and several others at the time. A socialist was about to be elected mayor. In the ensuing elections, the uh, socialists did win a few seats, but kind of the, it was like the backbreak the whole campaign to unionize uh, the LA Times. Well, the news is that the Times has unionized just recently by a very overwhelming vote. The people at the LA Times, the workers have decided to unionize. That's great. Something to think about, something to hang your hat on historical development. Supreme Court rejects Walmart appeal in employee wage case. Labor headline. Okay, Walmart, of course, the largest employer in the country and the uh, one of the most anti-union places. Uh, the Supreme Court declined to take up an appeal from Walmart on Monday, challenging an 187.6 million judgment in a class action lawsuit. In that case, Walmart Stores versus Michelle Braun, hourly employees of Walmart and Sam's Club had brought a class action lawsuit against the companies, claiming that they failed to compensate them for rest breaks off-the-clock work as mandated in their policies. Walmart and Sam's Club were ordered to pay Pennsylvania workers the multi-million dollar award for violating the state's minimum wage laws. So for once, the Supreme Court comes to the aid of workers, actually by not doing anything. And uh, airport workers in Fiji, a victory in Fiji. Airport workers in Fiji get back to their jobs. Suspended airport workers in Fiji have been filing back to work this morning after a tribunal order on Saturday. The, employee, the Employment Relations Tribunal found their employer air terminal services have not followed due process and gave the company 48 hours 
to allow the workers to return to their jobs at Nadi Airport. About 200 ground staff were off work for more than a month after the country, company took issue with a meeting some of them held to discuss concerns about management. Okay, go Fiji. Hello out there, everybody. I'm back in the radio here. Um, when I was at the march last Saturday, I heard that we have a lot of work to do. And uh, this first song, Blame It on the Schools, comes from the Raging Grannies. You can see their uh, song sheet at raginggrannies.com. Uh, and uh, this song is uh, a song that talks about the attitude that a lot of people have about the public schools. And so it's called blaming the, blame, blame the schools, but I call it uh, the Betsy DeVos Battle Hymn of Education because it uses the tune of uh, John Brown's Body or the Battle Hymn of the Republic. So it's topical in that sense. Every day we hear that the schools ain't what they used to be They don't turn out no scholars, no good folk like you and me What we need to do is go back to the cane and spelling bee That turned us out so good It's all the fault of education Drugs and crime and copulation Strikes and women's liberation, we blame it on the schools. The teachers got an easy job, they're out by half past three. They take off every summer and they got security. And they got rights and unions, unlike folks like you and me. They sure got it real good. It's all the fault of education, drugs and crime and copulation, strikes and women's liberation. We blame it on the schools. All right. Betsy DeVos, of course, is the anti-public school head of the Department of Education. Yeah, if you're a Walmart worker and, worker and you don't have a union, that you got a lot of work to do. So, okay, the, what's next? the anecdote to that is, just like every kid learns on the playground, you have to stand up to the bully and you have to say, don't you push me. You can play with me You can hold my hand You can use my jump rope You can use my ball You can take my bike And ride it all around You can even laugh at me But don't you push me down 
Don't you push me, push me, push me, don't you push me down. Don't you push me, push me, push me, don't you push me down. You can play with me, we can play all day. You can use my dishes if you'll put them away. We can go outside. You can even get mad at me, but don't you push me down. Don't you push me, push me, push me, don't you push me down. Don't you push me, push me, push me, don't you push me down. You can play with me, we can build a house. We can build a camping tent, and we can build a fort. We can share some oranges and apples and plums. You can help me wash my face, but don't you push me down. Don't you push me, push me, push me, don't you push me down. Don't you push me, push me, push me, don't you push me down. All right. All right that'll do it. That'll get us back in the right, in the right space. Sung by Woody Guthrie? Is that it? was by Woody Guthrie, yeah. Uh, the next one I have comes from the, remember that little green State of California folk songs book we all got in the... Uh, this is called Fuba Wuba John, and uh, a really good version of this is on uh, Burl Ives' Two Little Ducks CD. I saw a flea kick a tree, Fuba Wuba, Fuba Wuba. I saw a flea. Kick a tree, fuba wuba John. Saw a flea kick a tree in the middle of the sea. Hey John, ho John, fuba wuba John. Saw a fox in a box, fuba wuba fuba wuba. I saw a fox in a box, fuba wuba John. Saw a fox in a box. He was looking for his dirty socks. Hey, John, ho, John, fuba wuba, John. Heard a cow say meow, fuba wuba, fuba wuba. Heard a cow say meow, fuba wuba, John. Heard a cow. Say meow, then I heard her say bow wow. Hey John, ho John, foo ba woo ba John. Was a bear sitting in a chair, foo ba woo ba foo ba woo ba. I saw a bear in a chair, foo ba woo ba John. Ha a bear. In a chair, he was wearing underwear. Hey, John, ho, John, foo ba, woo 
Elba John. All right, now we're having fun. Okay, Uba Ruba John. All right, yeah, kids like animal songs. I like animal songs too. All right, so I got one more here, and it's also an animal song. And this one's by Bob Dylan. And it's called Man Gave Names to All the Animals. But I, I wanted to make it a little more inclusive. So I, I call it People Gave Names. Even kids, women, men, everybody gave. Everybody was there on the naming day at the Garden of Eden, right? And it wasn't only men who did all the talking, I don't it think. It only men. Yeah, so People Gave Names to All the Animals. gave names to all of the animal in the beginning in the beginning we all gave names to all the animal in the beginning long time ago Saw an animal up on the hill Eating up grass Till she was filled She had milk coming out But we didn't know how The women knew They said call her a cow In the beginning in the beginning, in the beginning, long time ago, we saw this animal leave a muddy trail, had a real dirty face and a curly tail. Well, he wasn't too small and he wasn't too big. Let's call him a pig In the beginning In the beginning In the beginning Long time ago Well, the next animal that we did see Wool on his back And hooves on his feet he was eating up the grass on a mountain so steep. Ah, let's call him a sheep. In the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, long time ago. Well, we saw an animal as smooth as glass Slithering his way on through the grass We saw him disappear by a tree down by the lake Ah, let's call him a snake In the 
the beginning in the beginning in the beginning long time ago we saw a big animal running so fast muscles all rippling as he flew past we heard a mighty neigh he was the source That sounds like a horse in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, long time ago, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, a long time ago. Go. Yes. That's it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chuck Turner. That That's was it. great. So these are songs you sing with uh, kids sometime, or? Yeah, all these songs, except for the "Blame It on the Schools" ones, were songs I used to use in uh, in school. Okay, I want to focus on that. <clears throat> blaming the schools one because uh yeah that's a good one there is some news about betsy devos i'm sure anybody any of you out there who uh follow the news at all um know that there was a tremendous scandal at Mich michigan state university uh involving a long time gymnastics coach named Larry Na Larry Nasser. Nasser was all, also the uh, trainer and team doctor for the U.S. Olympic team for many years. And um, now 150 or more women have come forth to say that he sexually molested them and called it a uh, a medical treatment and uh, he has been sentenced to 175 years in prison and everybody's going around saying oh why didn't they say anything well, why didn't they? the fact is they did say things and this larry nance and the u.s olympic Com u.s olympic committee was such a money machine from top to bottom people had been told about this also at michigan state people had been told by the girls themselves but they were dismissed one uh, commentator told a girl who uh, who complained about the harassment and abuse was told that uh, she didn't know the difference between sexual harassment and a, a well-known medical procedure. <laughs> I don't know what that might have been. Uh... So Nance, Nasser was sentenced. The, the best Betsy DeVos connection comes this way. Um, Betsy DeVos evidently is a, a friend or uh, an acquaintance of Luanna Simon, who was the former president of Michigan State. And on September 20th, 2017, uh, they had a meeting. And... 
Somehow, two days later, all the Obama-era Title Title IX guidance, that is, protecting young women and establishing a whole uh, structure for women athletes, those protections were withdrawn. Now, of course, you know, that's not to say that was the cause of all this abuse. It had gone on for years, but it shows how much in touch Betsy DeVos is and how willing she is to throw away protections for young women. Uh, Somehow she doesn't understand or she didn't know all this was going on. So many people did know that, uh, I think it was an open secret, but this man went on. Even while he was being investigated, he was allowed access to these girls. So, what kind of a Secretary of Education do we have who's just abandons girls to uh, monsters like this guy, Larry Nasser? Okay, and that was part of uh, Chuck's commentary in the song about blaming education. Teachers have it easy, huh? Teachers get every summer off so (laughs) they can get another job. Teachers can't afford to live in San Francisco. Even people with several years uh, service. So... Bunch of communists teach teach about recycling. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) That's barely okay. Um, So, yeah... Public education is under attack, and what that boils down to is that um, democracy is under attack. Charter schools are controlled by boards. Uh, Theoretically, anyway, public schools are controlled by the public who elect uh, school board members. Okay, let's get on now. Anything you want to add, Chuck? Uh, That's good for me. Thank you so much for coming, and we hope to see you. Uh, we hope to see you soon again. I hope to be back. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. This is a Radio Labour World Report recorded on Friday, January 26, 2018. I'm Mark Boulanger. 
In Brazil, former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva is fighting false corruption charges as the nation heads towards national elections. See Marie Ainsborough reports. The international labor movement is supporting efforts by former Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva to clear his name of false corruption charges. This week, an appeal court upheld a lower court ruling which convicted Mr. Lula and increased his sentence to more than 12 years. The ruling in both courts was given despite no evidence to support the charges of corruption levied against the former president. Mr. Lula is a former trade unionist who led the country from 2003 to 2011. When increasing Mr. Lula's sentence, the appeal court judge acknowledged there was no evidence of corruption, saying he had a personal conviction that Mr. Lula was guilty. Mr. Lula's popularity in the country has been rising lately. This has angered the country's oligarchy, which, in a 2016 coup, stole power from Dilma Rousseff, who had succeeded Mr. Lula as president. Sharon Burrow, the General Secretary of the International Trade Union Confederation, condemned the sentencing of Mr. Lula. The ITUC is the global body which represents national labor centers such as the AFL-CIO in the United States and the Ghana Trades Union Congress. Ms. Burrow told the media that Mr. Lula's conviction was politically motivated. Democracy in Brazil, said Ms. Burrow, must be restored, and the only way to do that is through fair and democratic elections in which Lula has the right to be a candidate. General elections in Brazil are scheduled for October 2018. This is C. Marie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labor. The world's largest global union is celebrating its 25th anniversary. Created in January 1993, Education International, EI, is the organization which represents teachers and other education workers at the world level. It represents some 30 million workers who are members of 400 unions in 172 countries. It works to improve the wages and working conditions of education education workers. It has a particular focus on improving teaching as a profession. Fred Van Leeuwen is the founding general secretary of Education International. I asked him about EI's 25 years and what it has done for education workers in that time. When we created Education International in 1993, the Berlin Wall had fallen four years earlier, and Fukuyama had just published The End of History. We all thought that we were moving into the right direction, that freedom, human rights, democracy, that it was just a matter of time. Although I don't want to say that this optimism has disappeared. It has turned into a sense of, of realism. Now, when you're asking me what has been achieved in in the past 25 years, I think, first of all, I should say that we have been able to to help education unions around the world to take a leadership role in promoting democratic change in their, in their countries, from uh, Tunisia, Algeria, Egypt, to Djibouti, Lebanon, Iraq, Bahrain, during the Arab Spring, also in the Asia-Pacific region, the stone countries, Turkey. It's a very long list of countries and places where I think we have made or at least tried to make a difference. Now, in terms of the of the profession, teaching profession, it is quite clear that today nobody with some sense, except perhaps the World Bank, would dare advocate that teaching is not a profession. 
that teachers do not need to be highly educated or that they are not crucial to the delivery of quality education. Now, 25 years ago, this was being whispered in some international circles, and that's no longer the case. So I think we've changed the narrative. We brought teachers back to the, to the center of the education debate. We've undertaken valuable research to substantiate our claims. We were able to get UNESCO to develop and adopt a recommendation on the status of higher education teachers. Uh, we got an ILO instrument to protect the rights of early childhood education. We manufactured new international consultation mechanism for union leaders and education ministers in, in the OECD countries. And frankly, I think that organizations like UNESCO and OECD have moved to our side of the aisle which, of course, doesn't mean that governments moved as well. Many are unfortunately still stuck in the belief that our school system, first of all, is to improve a country's economic performance, um, serve the needs of the market, neglecting the need of for equal access for a broad curriculum and for more space and time for teaching professionals is exactly one of the main challenges that we are still confronting. I've always believed that education and the union movement are very important forces to help democratic development and promote human rights. Mr. Van Leeuwen is the founding general secretary of Education International. He is stepping down after 25 years of guiding EI and 37 years as a leader of the teaching profession's international activities. He will be replaced March 1st by David Edwards, a deputy general secretary of EI. Mr. Edwards is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the United States. Now here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the average of 240 news stories added to our site each day last week. Our top story section included links to coverage of the airport lockout in Fiji, where a win in the courts for the union has produced more repression by the government, an analysis of the effects on American workers of the first year of the Trump presidency, and the return to prison of a seriously ill Iranian union leader. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Public sector workers across Nigeria were refusing to work until the wages owed to them were paid. A strike by Brazilian public transport workers ended the planned privatization of the Sao Paulo metro system. Golf club workers in Taiwan walked off the job when 15 workers were fired for insisting on being paid according to their collective agreement. Across South Africa, university workers escalated their wage dispute by downing tools for a day. Public sector workers were off work to demand higher wages across Slovenia. And in Pakistan, public health employees were striking to prevent the privatization of their service. 
Our top working women stories included coverage of a survey of British hospitality workers that reveals widespread sexual harassment at work, an apology for, quote, sexy outfits, end quote, comments from the Malaysian Journalists Union, and a spontaneous wildcat strike by women workers at a Kenyan hospital after a male member of staff was accused of sexual assault. The Health and Safety Newswire, we run in cooperation with Hazards Magazine, carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the deaths of 17 workers in a warehouse fire in India, a blockade of French prisons by staff concerned about the increasing level of violence in their workplace, publication of a report on the changing patterns of workplace dangers in China over the past decade, and a limited warning strike over safety concerns by Israeli public transport workers that was cancelled by a court order. Currently, Labor Start is running six online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Radio Labor's newscasts are available on its website, iTunes, mobile phones, union websites, and community radio stations. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Labor. I'm Mark Boulanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Uh, Radio Labor and their report about uh, labor initiatives all over the world. Let's run some music down here.
City Joe says I am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I ain't dead. Says Joe, but I ain't dead. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes. Says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize, went on to organize. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. Okay, that set was, uh, we call it? world music international labor music uh international protest first one was amnesty from 1973 the album is free your mind and the song was mr president after that we followed with uh Thalakuti, about more whom in, in a in a bit and we uh finished with a great paul robeson singing in Great Britain for a group of miners in 1949, singing the, of course, the labor anthem, Joe Hill. Let's see. I want to find out a little about Felakuti, or Felakuti was... Um, a Nigerian multi-instrumentalist musician, composer, pioneer of Afrobeat music genre, human rights activist, and political maverick. Uh, Also a misogynist, a man who kept uh, many wives. Fellow's music was popular among the Nigerian public and Africans in general. In fact, he made the decision to sing in pidgin English so that his music could be enjoyed by individuals all over Africa. It was very unpopular, however, with the ruling government. And raids were common. In 1977, Fela and the Africa 70 released the album Zombie, a scathing attack on the Nigerian soldiers using the zombie metaphor to describe the methods of the Nigerian military. The album was a smash hit and infuriated the government. We just heard a cut from it called Water Ain't Got No Enemy. 
Um, he formed the Kalakuta Republic, a communal recording studio and a home for the many people connected to the band that he later declared independent from the African state. The name Kalakuta derived from the infamous Black Hole of Calcutta dungeon in India. Bella set up a nightclub in the Empire Hotel. Anyway, this album with the song Zombie and the, the one we just played was a smash hit. The government mounted a vicious attack against the Kalakuta Republic during which 1,000 soldiers attacked the commune. Fellow was severely beaten and his elderly mother, whose house was located opposite the commune, was thrown from a window, causing fatal injuries. The Kalakuta Republic was burned and Fellow's studio instruments and master tapes were destroyed. Fella claimed that he would have been beaten had it not been for the intervention of a commanding officer as he was being beaten. Fella's response to the attack was to deliver his mother's coffin to the Dodan barracks in Lagos, residence of the chief general, and to write two songs, Coffin for Head of State and Unknown Soldier. because the government had claimed that the Republic building had been destroyed by an unknown soldier. Alakuti died in 1997, reportedly uh, from complicated complications related to AIDS, AIDS and uh, more than one million people attended his funeral at the site of the old shrine compound. The new Africa shrine has opened since Fella's death in a different section of Lagos under the supervision of his son, Femi. Okay, so Fella Kuti. Take a little break. I referenced earlier in the show um, the dilemma of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. celebrating his birthday all month. And that dilemma was that 
once he stopped uh, attacking and undermining and demonstrating against the obvious oppression and terrorism visited on African Americans in the South, King changed. King developed a much deeper critique of American society besides the obvious Jim Crow Jim Crow laws in the South and in other places as well. King turned to the war in Vietnam and we played a portion of that speech last week. He turned to the war in Vietnam as a symptom of the deep sickness in our nation of the uh, of the preoccupation with violence and um, forcing others to do as we wished and also how much money was being spent on the war whereas people here in America needed President Johnson's economic programs but that all went down the, the drain. The war took first priority. At any rate, King came out against the war, attacked the war, and then developed the very sophisticated critique of capitalism and capitalistic society. He didn't call it that. But in his pocket when he died was a speech that he was preparing called Will America Go to Hell? So we're going to listen to some of Amy Goodman's show about King and about his activities after he developed this critique. Strange that one year, maybe not strange, after he made the speech or he broke with the Johnson administration about Vietnam, uh, he was murdered in Memphis. And of course, we all know that it was a labor action. King realized that the labor movement, that, that labor was where the real rubber meets the road. He said once, if I can't afford a hamburger, who cares if I can sit next to you at a lunch counter? Okay, here's Amy Goodman talking to Taylor Branch, who just produced the film. was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. He was just 39 years old. Today, we look back at the last three years of King's life, beginning after President Lyndon Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Despite passage of the monumental legislation, King set his eyes on new battles by launching a Poor People's Campaign and campaigning to stop the Vietnam War. King's decision to publicly oppose the war isolated from, from many of his closest supporters. Well, a new HBO documentary about King's last years has just premiered here at the Sundance Film Festival. It's titled King in the Wilderness. It will air on HBO in April. I had a chance to sit down this week with the film's director, longtime documentary filmmaker Peter Kuhnhart, as well as two of the film's executive producers, the writer Trey Ellis and Pulitzer Prize-winning historian Taylor Branch, who wrote The America in the King Years trilogy. I began by asking Peter Kuhnhart about why he named the film King in the Wilderness. We came up with the title of King in the Wilderness late in the editing of the film. And it was 
based on the fact that we were overcome by the fact that King was struggling in every possible way during last, those last three years, trying to find his way as he branched away, or in addition to his work on racism, to work on poverty, to work on uh, moving the, 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 his, his movement north to the northern cities, and to oppose the war in Vietnam. And as he did this, his, his support that he had enjoyed all, all during the early part of the civil rights movement vanished. And he was left with no roadmap. He felt his friends abandoned him. And, and he was alone and struggling and trying to find his way. And uh, we, we just felt that the title captured that kind of loneliness that he, he experienced. Trey Ellis, you did a lot of the interviews with these legendary figures, the contemporaries of Dr. Martin Luther King. Talk about the people that you spoke to and this particular period in his life. Of course, Dr. King is a legend, an icon, and people can't imagine that there was this period where he did feel so alone, felt so vilified. Yeah, to, I mean, to me, I want to say first, it was such an amazing experience to talk to these people that were all of my parents' generation. And to talk to Janona Clayton, who opens our film, and to say that Martin died of a broken heart. Um, it's really heartbreaking. And then when I talked to Diane Nash, and she said she happened to know my parents from at Howard University, and I didn't know that until I interviewed her. Um, so it really, the, the, my journey of interviewing all these legends was really transformative for me. These are all people that I knew just from books. Talk about who Diane Nash was. Right, so Diane Nash is really one, I think of her as Wonder Woman a little bit, like the, the so a legendary um, civil rights activist, really um, responsible, Taylor no more, but for the, the March to Selma, the, the voting rights uh, movement in, in Alabama, uh, the lunch counter uh, uh, movement in, in Nashville when she was a student at Fisk. Um, but she was also a mother and had to, you know, and had, you know, she had all the problems of being a woman in the movement and being a legend in the movement. Where we know who John Lewis is, he's a, he's a congressman and a household name, and Diane Nash should be as famous as him. And hopefully I think with this film might help with that. And Diane Nash's comments about Dr. King and the differences she had with him in those last three years, where she felt the efforts of the civil rights movement should be focused. Well, she's still, she's, to this day, she's still very fiery. And she says this, the idea of the cult of personality, the idea of, of, of us as the people sort of ceding our sense of agency to one or two leaders, uh, she's really very much against that. And she speaks pretty eloquently about how we have to find the movement in ourselves and each of us has to pitch in. And um, so I think that, and she, being on the ground floor, she knew that there are other people around Dr. King that were also great leaders. And it's sort of easy for us to sort of uh, outsource our activism to, to the act, people who are more active than us. So Taylor Branch, let's talk about those last three years um, where Dr. King is moving north. And he would say at that time, he was never so afraid as he was in Chicago. I mean, for all that he faced in the South, Chicago, right. the northern United States. Well, within a month of Selma in 1965, he was saying, we have to go north. And the staff, including Diane, did not want him to go, did not want to go north. We still have work to do in the, in the South. That's what she said. 
But King became more determined. He was reluctant in the early years. He was trying to make the movement climb up. He gets the Nobel Peace Prize. Andy Young said, we wanted to have chicken dinners and congratulate ourselves for 20 years. He says, no, we want to go to Selma. As soon as Selma was done, he says, we want to go north to show um, America that the race issue is never, is now, and never has been purely Southern. Uh, the staff didn't want to go. Then he, uh, all the staff, except for one person, was against his coming out and making the Riverside Church speech against Vietnam. And none of the staff, the, the, the film shows how much staff dissension there was on the Poor People's Campaign and then on Memphis. So there was a downward pull of King in the last years where he felt compelled to make a witness on things that he didn't have confidence be big breakthrough moments like I Have a Dream or the Civil Rights Act or 1965. So he's in the wilderness and he's lonely, but he is much more of a, of a leader. We have to finish on our principles, even if we have very little left. Can you take us on the trajectory of uh, the Mississippi March? This is after the Selma to Montgomery March. This is James Meredith and why King decided to join this. Um, through the whole challenge by Stokely Carmichael, who would later become Kwame Therese, some incredible footage there of them publicly sort of feuding or it was a more a battle of ideas of who should be included in the march, but start with um, Meredith. Well, the Meredith March was a watershed in the public perception of the movement. It was the birth of black power. Um, Stokely had just taken over the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee from John Lewis. Um, Lewis was ousted um, because he was too much like Martin Luther King, too steadfast in nonviolence. And when Meredith got shot, Dr. King and Stokely were thrown together in continuing his march through Mississippi. And explain what happened to James Meredith. James Meredith was had his own solo march against fear to try to uh, inspire black Mississippians who were afraid to go to the courthouse to register to vote after the Voting Rights Act. And he said, if I can march through Mississippi by myself, then you shouldn't be afraid to register. Uh, but on the third day out, he was shot um, by white people who were angry that he was trying to rally black people to vote. And civil rights leaders, many of whom weren't, they weren't consulted uh, about this march, but they felt they had to continue it because it was so public. And it through Dr. King together with the new uh, SNCC leader, Stokely, and Stokely said openly that he used the fact that all the press came with Dr. King to announce this new doctrine to make the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee not be so much second fiddle. They had always felt Dr. King got all the publicity and they were spending more time in jail. And he pronounced this new doctrine, we want black power, and it, it mesmerized the, the, the media. To this day, I mean, uh, it's, it's more popular. There are a lot of nonviolent movement veterans who are embarrassed that they were nonviolent because black power became so popular. And, Dr. King would argue with Stokely marching down the road, and there are scenes of that. But then at night they would argue. With a reporter between them reporter holding between a mic them. going back and forth. Yes. And also the inclusion of uh, non-black activists in the movement. Yes, but, uh, well, yes, they wanted, the, the march was very integrated, the march against uh, a fear. Uh, it, it, 
remember, it's 220-something miles. It went on for almost a month. Uh, it's bigger than the, than, the, than the Selma March, but its significance is that it marks this big transformation between violence and nonviolence, or the opening of a debate. And Stokely would say, how come we have to be nonviolent? How come America admires nonviolence only in black people, but otherwise they admire John Wayne, you know? Uh, and why do we have to do that? And, and, and Dr. King would say, we don't. I'm not telling you you have to do it. What I'm telling you is that nonviolence is a leadership doctrine. It's ahead of America. If we become violent, it's not that we're stepping up to be like John Wayne. It's that we're, we're stepping back from nonviolence to try to move the country toward uh, reconciliation, toward votes, nonviolence, toward spirituality. So they had this big argument about whether, whether the civil rights movement needed to be nonviolent, whether it was, whether it was effective, whether it was principled, uh, and what kind of leadership strategy it was. And that, that, that debate um, uh, dominated the, the last couple of years of Dr. King's life. Okay, that was a piece of an interview with uh, Amy Goodman about uh, Dr. King's last few years after he had broken with the White House and broken with uh, a lot of people in opposing the war and critiquing American capitalism. Uh, That film will come out in April. Okay. American King Years. Okay. Let's move on to some music. It's been a real talkative, talking one this time. Tina Turner. This for the hell. You know, every now and then, I think you might like to hear something from us. Nice, easy. Left There's just one thing. Down in the you see, we never, ever do nothing. Working for the man nice, every night and easy. Day. We always but do it. I never lost nice one minute and rough. But we're going to take the beginning of this song and do it easy. But then we're going to do the finish. Rough. The way we do. Proud Mary. And we're rolling. I was worried about the way that 
Tina Turner, of course, rolling on the river. Got some labor news here. Three recent wins. Well, they're not so recent now, but they certainly need to be pointed out. We need to keep repeating when we do win one because it happens and it is happening. Unions are down to 6.7%. Wins are rare and workers are supposed to be on their way out. Yet at Chrysler, Verizon, and a huge Teamster pension fund, thousands of union members mobilized as in the last year or so to put a stick in management's eye. Hundreds of thousands will see the benefit. Victory number one. 40,000 Chrysler workers turned down a two-tier contract by a vote of nearly two to one. Despite earlier promises to bring a big chunk of Tier 2 workers up to Tier 1 wages, United Auto Workers bargained. Bargainers had agreed to let the hated two-tier system continue indefinitely. By that time, Tier 2 represented 45% of the workforce. And UAW President Dennis Williams told local union officials ending two-tier is bullshit. But the vote forced union bargainers to return to the table and negotiate a path to standard wages for all Tier 2 members. Victory number two. In May, retired Teamsters in 25 states saw the fruits of two years of organizing when the federal government rejected the central state's pension funds plan to slash benefits for current retirees by up to 50 or 60 percent. More than 400,000 Teamsters retirees and their families were granted a reprieve. And victory number three on June 1st, 39,000 Verizon workers ended a 45-day strike that forced the predatory company to back down from outsourcing call center jobs, forcing transfers to other states, and harassing and micromanaging technicians. The company raised wages and pensions, and its execs were left scratching their heads, wondering what went wrong with their overreach. What enabled our side to win? To kick some ass, as the article says. Grassroots actions by tens of thousands of rank-and-file members. Not clever PR campaigns. Not pounding the bargaining table or lobbying. Not photo ops. But getting in someone's face. Oh, it's nice to uh, think about our wins. UPS drivers beat forced overtime during holiday rush. It's Friday morning and you're starting another 12-hour shift in the bitter cold. At least you know the end is in sight because tomorrow's Saturday and you're almost up to the 60-hour weekly limit. That is until your manager hits you with the news. UPS has decided to exploit a loophole in Department of Transportation regulations to allow 70-hour weeks. You'll be working tomorrow after all. 
when UPS pulled this move on delivery drivers in many cities nationwide December 1st, the response from the Teamsters International was weak. A memo from the union's package division telling members the national contract did not protect members from the change. But in New England, the union wasn't having, having it. It won't work 70, they said. December 11th, a Monday morning, found UPS managers in the Warwick, Rhode Island package hubs parking lot facing hundreds of Teamsters chanting, we won't work 70. During the holiday season, the company routinely relies on drivers to volunteer for an early start time on Mondays to get a jump on delivering the packages that came in over the weekend. Usually most are happy to do it since they'll get home sooner and the company avoids an hour of downtime during scarce daylight. The trucks weren't rolling, said Chief Steward Tommy Salvatore, who has put 27 years at UPS. I was blown away. I haven't seen such solidarity since the 97 strike. Company backed down. While USPSers around the country were forced to work Saturdays, Teamsters who took action in Rhode Island, Boston Local 25, and other defiant locals, backed by New England Teamster Joint Council, kept their 60 hour week. Thank you very much. This is all on uh, labor notes. Okay, let's see. I think we had one more about pension. The attack on workers' retirement. This is by Dean Baker. It's in Labor Notes. While many current retirees are reasonably comfortable because they have pensions, the future does not look bright for those yet to retire. Traditional defined benefit pensions are rapidly disappearing in the private sector. Less than 15% of workers have them. Most public sector workers still have them. More than 20 million are either now receiving or looking forward to a pension. However, public sector pensions are coming back under attack from ALEC and other right-wing groups. Over the last four decades, employers have been anxious to convert traditional defined benefit pensions into defined contribution 401k plans. The difference is that with a defined benefit, the worker is secure while the employer does not know exactly how much it will have to pay in. Workers are guaranteed a lifetime benefit based on their salary and years of experience. The employer's bill depends on the worker's longevity and on stock market contribution. Another attack on workers' lives. Working class history. Before we go here, let's talk about a little working class history. In 
27 January 1866, Alice Wealdon, British suffragette, socialist, and anti-war campaigner, was born in Derby. She was later sentenced to 10 years penal servitude along with her daughter Winnie and son-in-law on bogus charges of conspiracy to murder the Prime Minister. She fought for women's right to vote, then with the outbreak of World War I began opposing the war and sheltered young men on the run from conscription. Unfortunately, one man that she led into her home was a convicted criminal who was working for Britain's domestic secret service who framed her family. She died shortly after her release. And this is a good time to bring up, uh, we talk about the Kings and the Chavez and the Joe Hills and the leaders, the stars of the labor movement. But no movement survives or even gets on its feet without the input and the work. Let's call it what it is, the work of tens of thousands of activists who put in their time to make it work. And of course, we heard about Diane Nash's critique of the whole uh, cult of personality around Martin Luther King that kind of took away. We remember the Montgomery bus boycott and people like Joanne Robinson and yes, Rosa Parks herself and many other women and men who participated and made the movement go. So when King stood up to talk, he was speaking for a lot of people, but he was not the only person involved. So here's to those people, people like Alice Whedon, who gave her life basically to oppose the war. Strike January 27th in Helsinki, Finland. Revolution broke out in Finland as workers took over Helsinki with many of the country's other large towns following in the next few days. People's Republic of Finland instituted workers' control of production, the abolition of the old mode of land distribution, and the emancipation of domestic servants and farmhands before being eventually being sacrificed by the Bolsheviks as part of their negotiations with Western powers. At that time, Finland was part of Russia. Twenty-seven. January 1969, students at the London School of Economics occupied the University of London Union Building on Mallet Street. Only a few days after they had attacked the main university building, which they had been locked out of with crowbars and pickaxes. Wherever you go, wherever you are, know your history know what people in the past have done. Their strength will give you strength. On January 26, 1952, the Cairo Fire, Black Saturday riots began 
when protesters burned and looted hundreds of European-owned buildings in protests at British occupation troops killing 50 Egyptian policemen the previous day. The events began when airport workers refused to service four British planes wherever you go. January 26, 1944, we honor Angela Davis, born in Birmingham, Alabama. Should have played some Angela Davis today, but uh, it's getting kind of late. So, we'll save Angela for next week. This is the B... And it's, uh, what, 11.44. I want to remind you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. I want to remind you that if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work, you're probably on the menu. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor and when I say labor, I mean you. This is Labor and Love Radio, where the rubber meets the road. Reminding you that it's just a little more than a month now before the big mutiny comedy festival. Put on by our own Pam Benjamin with 25 shows, a week of comedy. Com- comedians coming from all over all over the state and the country. And, of course, we still have more things to talk about. We didn't play Doug Cunningham today. So let's see. Put on one of our theme songs on our way out. You know, the blues speak of so many things. Hello, everybody out there. Making a kind of variety of the program. Gita, my soulmate, Sylvia, Solina. Different facts of life that you know about. And all the other people share my house. And when you think about the various Have a good week and good work, everybody. The various religions of the earth. Various nationalities, various people all over the world. We have been able to make anything that we want to make and do anything we want to do. On January 23rd, 1890, the United Mine Workers of America was formed. One of the most important labor unions in American but history. It Struggles, armed struggles. Those who made everything else, wise men, great men. In history, right From now. Every nation in the world, all the countries in the world. The coal industry. Have all kinds of conventions and festivals. Spend all the money. Suppose you had to spend half as much money. State and extremely corrupt organizations. As you have been leadership was indifferent to its own work. You wouldn't have to worry about nothing. But it don't make sense. 60s and 70s. 
Today, with the decline of coal employment in Appalachia, the UM, UMW is not much more than a pension fund for retired miners, many of whom are dying from black lung, from labor's guns and money. Hi, everybody. No labor and love next week. I will be in uh, San Jose at the labor and the schools conference. You have made great plains to span the sky. You gave sight. To the blind with the, the man's eye. You even made submarines stay submerged for weeks. Swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m.
SF brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.Evan. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground Comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere fun. $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> well, hello, boys and girls. You know what a password is. That's a secret word that soldiers would use to get past the sentry and up to the front. Well, here's a password that gets you up to the front in all the right places. It's cannabis energy. It seems the faster you go, the more cannabis energy you need. So if you want to win, you have to have lots of cannabis energy. And the swellest way I know to get it is just by using Green Army Skincare. Boy, they're just crammed full of cannabis energy. There are more cannabis energy units in one lip balm tube than you use circling the base 10 times or when you ride your bike four miles across the city. And it's fast acting. Why, no sooner that you apply some balm to your mouth or pain areas, you properly feel the new strength in your muscles. And what's more, Green Army Skincare is a good, wholesome product. They're made with body-nourishing cannabis and other natural ingredients. So go out there today and pick up some Green Army Skincare products from your local cannabis procurement center. Join thegreenarmy.com. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to invite you down to Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco at 806 South Van Ness. Uh, we've got great food by our kitchen counter offer, burgers, tater tots, tachos, corn dogs, all sorts of good stuff like that. They're open from opening until 11 p.m. most days of the week, except Saturday. 
uh, every Saturday night we've got live rock and roll some of the best local bands in San Francisco and touring acts as well come on down 10 p.m. rock and roll only night of the week we have a $5 cover charge always five bucks for live rock and roll we're open from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m. Monday through Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday 2 to 2 Come on down, have some drinks with us. We've got Whiskey Wednesday, Tequila Tuesday, and we've always got the Steve McQueen special. Shot a bullet bourbon and a can of California lager for eight bucks. Come down and enjoy our patio. It's open in the afternoon, not really in the evening, but a lot of good folks hanging out back there. Come on down, give us a shot. Drop by the bar, make some friends. Thanks, folks. Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District, San Francisco, California. With a happy hour every Monday through Friday until 7 p.m. Don't miss it. Go to Bender's Bar. Big supporter of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. Oh, yeah. It goes down. Come smoke with your boy. Grinder. Spark is San Francisco's premier cannabis dispensary with a focus on serving and educating patients for seven years. Spark is dedicated to creating the best in-store experience with its extensive menu, friendly staff, and one of the few cannabis vape lounges in San Francisco. Spark welcomes you to visit its two great locations as a medical patient or for recreational adult use in 2018. Spark is located at 1256 Mission Street between 8th and 9th and at 473 Haight Street at Fillmore. Both locations are open until 10 p.m. every night. Spark staff looks forward to serving you. Rainbow Grocery, a worker-owned and operated food cooperative located at 1745 Folsom Street in the Mission District of San Francisco. Let's hear what locals have to say about Rainbow Grocery. Their bulk section is dope AF. I love their their variety of cheese and home decor items uh, and this of unique items that you can't find anywhere else. Their cheese section is insane. I love Rainbow Grocery because it's the number one grocery store to shop at when you're having a potluck and need to fulfill everyone's dietary needs. They don't have meat. Rainbow Grocery Cooperative, an amazing San Francisco staple since 1975. For all your space chicken, sci-fi, comedy, non-political humor needs, go to timstesseract.com. Read fiction about the future of San Francisco after the water wars of 2121 in Jane 6. Ask a Jedi for important life hacks. Eat flesh with the bare exoskeleton Contessa. And check your horror horoscope on Horoscopia. Updated every three parsecs. Timstesseract.com. Timstesseract.com. So you want to be a comic? 
It's not as easy as we make it look, but that's because Mutiny Radio has eight hours a week of open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs. Strain those improv muscles every Sunday from four to six at Getting Sketchy with David Stolowitz. Press out those new jokes every Monday, 6 